Welcome to Creative Welly, episode 34. Can you believe it? It's 34 episodes already. My name is DK, the founder and producer and creator of Creative Welly. This is an episode with Bernadette Casey, who is the textile and circular economy specialist and co-founder of Used Fully, and also Tan Huen. He's the manager of Impact Investing Network and also works with Akina as well. This is a discussion about sustainability, climate change, textiles, regulation, investment models, finance sector, transparency, and everything in between. Big shout out to our video producer, John O'Tucker from Empire Films, who produces this beautiful and unique podcast. Please check us out at creativewelly.com and also David at Flashdog Studio for hosting us as well. So let's get into this Creative Welly episode 34 and have some courageous conversations with bold humans. Just wanted to say, are you going to say my surname? No. Okay, good. Would you <laughs> like I'm, me to though? No, 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 no. If you did, I'll just let you know how it's phonetically It's uh, done. pronounced, yeah, I've exactly. never known. Exactly. Actually, so I've don't never worry about it. Said... You don't need to complicate it because you're not going to say it. How, how do you say it? It's win. Win. Yeah. With a W. Win. 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 And it's, the, it's phonetically how I would pronounce it from my homeland. When? Yeah. So I've got so used to, we could even do this on the video. Yeah, we're oh, doing it now. We're recording. This, yeah. this is a great start. Okay. Yeah. Tell me about when. And kind of, I remember you trying to teach me certain vowels in Vietnamese, how one groups of letters have like nine pronunciations or something like that. Yeah, that's, uh, so Vietnamese, thank you, DK. Vietnamese <laughs> is a, it's a phonetic language. Yeah. Uh, so what that means in, uh, in uh, New Zealand, we may have, we really are, we're not a phonetic language, mm. uh, though I think the, um, the fact that we go ups with our vowels, is, you, could, you could say that we are, okay. we might have two phonetic, but ay is, <laughs> <laughs> uh, or yeah, nah. There's that. Is, but uh, Vietnamese is uh, you could uh, there's six sounds that you can make, mm. and the way that you either you emphasise that sound changes the meaning. Yeah, that was uh, it. So what makes it really difficult is in free flow language when you're talking uh, for the uh, non-native speaker, it's quite hard to pick up differentiate between the two. Wow. So that's what makes it really tricky. Uh, so you could go. So phonetic means goes. You can go flat which is mainly what we would say here mm. in uh, speaking English in New Zealand or in Vietnamese, you would go up, down, up and down, um, stop like, really quickly. So that's what I mean when I talk about phonetics. Yeah. Does that make it all sense? Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Instead of being dependent on the actual letter. Yeah, the, the, the sounds that you, you make uh, means the changes, the, uh, the meaning. So... Can I give you an example? Please yeah. do. Okay. So try to... So joy your Can you differentiate that? joy your joy your joy your Those are two, Those are two, two examples. Words. I slowed that down the last time. This is a real pace, okay? Yeah. joy your joy your Benedict, you think? joy your Yeah. That's okay. perfect. joy your That's perfect. <laughs> joy your That, the first word I said was dog. Yeah. The second word I said was wind. Wow. Not even close in yeah. terms of... Wow. Not, not really close in terms of meaning. But, no. Joy, uh, your... Yeah, and so learning that language is really difficult if you don't uh, right. have the sounds. It's naturally, I, I, I don't know, it's like you remember 
or you say words in English, I don't know how I make those sounds. It's just what I. <laughs> it's what I've been given been, from yeah. my from my motherland. Yeah, <laughs> so, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So, mm, yeah. I've just found out recently how to say my own surname, which you'd think I would have known since you know day dot. Yes. But. Um, in my circumstance, my father was Irish and he came to New Zealand and he died when I was a year old. And my mother died recently and we found his leaving certificate and other documents, which I'd never seen before. And I always thought my, na- my surname was Casey, mm. but it's actually spelt C-A-T-H-S-A-I-G-H. Kahasei. But I never oh, wow. knew this. I never found out till I was in my mid-50s. So it's been anglicised yeah. to yes. simplicity. Yeah. Sake. Almost phonetically as well. Yeah. But it, it, it removes the kind of lyricism of the language. Yeah. But what was more shocking is that I got the certificate and I didn't know how to say my name. I, mm. was, in, I was in shock. Wow, what a discovery. Yeah, but it's made me uh, really investigate... Mm. Um, the Irish language, and I'm off there in a fortnight's time, and I want to do an immersive course. Oh, it's like this whole rediscovery of a part of me that I didn't know it existed. And it's so important, as you say, I think it's so important that mm. we are able to um, say other people's names correctly. Mm. And our own. <laughs> Even our own, yeah. yeah. But what a discovery. Are you, like, tempted to go back to that? In what way? Kind of... Your spelt is, is Casey now, right? But could you readopt your old name? Well, I um, I've had a few I've had a few names because st- I started out a Casey, and then we were adopted by my stepfather, and I became an O'Donovan, and then I married a, a Vondenkirchhoff, and then I married a Thompson. <laughs> so, okay, so you've bounced around when it comes to so names. So bounced around, but um, wow. but I ha- I did return to Casey about. 20 years ago, because I really felt like, and as a woman, mm-hmm. the expectation of changing your name, you've got to reset your identity. Yeah. And I just went, I just want to have my own name. So I went back to Casey and then found out it wasn't even my name. Wow, what a discovery. <laughs> so now in my emails, I have put at the end of it, Nikahase. So for women, mm. it's Ni, um, and for men, it's O. In mm. Irish, so you'll have you know, like O Casey if you're a son of Casey, but for women it's near Casey. So I've got right. on my name, I've got Benedict Casey, and then just last week I put in brackets near Kahase. Fascinating. Yeah. Does it change the meaning at all, Benedict, in terms of the way it's pronounced? Mm. Is there know. more history behind that? Is... I don't know. I th- maybe mm. I'll find that this out. This is the when discovery. Yeah. yeah, that's. that's... Yeah. Well, what an adventure you're going to be on. So you're going to Ireland? Yeah. Just Island? No, I'm going to London first because I haven't seen my son for two years. Oh. Oh, over wow. COVID. Yeah, of course. And I've missed him dreadfully, you know. He's uh, 28, but he's still my baby. So. He'll always be a baby. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going there first and then going to Ireland for um, business and personal reasons. So we're looking at Ireland as a secondary market. Okay. And... Um, and then to see what I can discover, you know, from personal history. That's brilliant. Yeah. So let's linger on, like, business and grown-up stuff. How would you describe what you do to someone who just met you? 
always hate this question because it's not a, you know, three-word answer. That's fine, we've got time. Okay. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> and what we do ties really intimately in with what Tan does as well mm. because it is a whole systems change. Mm. So, um, creating, moving from that linear system to a circular system with clothing and textiles but what we've discovered over the last wee while is it's all very well to have this systems change, but what the foundations of our whole system is the financial system. Mm -hmm. And in, unless we change our financial systems, we're not going to be able to you know, move on our climate reduction. And, our, and this is one of the things that I really, I'm sorry, I'm not diverting from your question or not answering it but this is a really uh, this is a question that I wanted to ask you sure. like what do you see in this space when we see like impact investors they want the same business model that um, returns 10x or returns whatever they expect with you know the icing on the cake being being impact so they don't necessarily want to want to disrupt or change what is working for them that whole anyway I thought I'd hand it to you and what do you see oh that's a it's a wonderful question and thank you Benedict I think you're absolutely right that so you, you made the comment that finance uh, or investment um, it's really the same word um, in this conversation uh, is uh, one of the uh, the big things that can uh, the levers, if you like, that can cut change in this uh, in the system. Um, so that's the first point, I think. So I think um, if we start and say, well, what is impact investment? If I could talk about that a little bit for a minute. Um, so it's in a way uh, investment. People typically know it's you're putting in money, uh, finance, money uh, to to get uh, money back. And when you do that, what you're managing is two things, which is your return, the financial return, and then you're trying to say, well, what risk is there involved? Um, in a way, that's the downside. Mm. Uh, what, do, what, what should I be scared of? <laughs> because in that way, um, I'm saying, uh, or we're saying, okay, well, what financial return should I get for that risk? So what you've said in, a, in terms of when you talk about impact is that we want to add that third element in when we look at investment. We're saying that you can't just look at risk and return. You've got to have a look at impact. And then this is what's really important is why. Why is it impact important? Because, and you'll know this, Benedict, is because we are facing some of the biggest challenges that we have ever faced. Real world challenges that go far beyond and far deeper than just finance, yeah. far beyond and deeper than just risk and return. Uh, there's climate change, uh, there's social um, problems, there's housing affordability issues. Um, so you know, that's, that's what the lens that we have to look at this from. So when then you, the, the other thing you said, if I'm hearing you right as well, Benedict, please correct me if uh, I haven't heard, um, try to actively listen to you, is that uh, impact investors, yes, I think some of them, I think it's who uh, we're talking about in terms of impact investor. Some of them, yes, uh, they are stuck in terms of that, uh, let's call it the, the existing model, where it's about we'd like to uh, have high growth. Uh, we want 10x in terms of the revenue and 
that, that is some of them, but then there, there are some that are very much, uh, they more would start with impact. Um, so if I can just signpost that a little bit as well. And when we talk about impact, and I'd love to understand what you mean by impact as well, but when we talk about impact, it's simply we are trying to do something that is for a positive environmental and or social good to solve the real world problems that face us. That's what we mean by impact. Um, and we've got to look beyond that just listening return. Um, but Benedict, just, just while we're on that conversation, f- just describe from a, your point of view and usefully this point of view what impact is and what, what's the difference that you're trying to make in the world. We're trying to operate within the biophysical limits of, of planet Earth mm-hmm. and um, and changing changing the you know everyone talks about the the linear model so changing it so we're not just taking product or or making products and then using them for a brief period of time and then they just go off to landfill where you don't see it anymore mm-hmm. um, and changing it so those the the value of those goods are, are maximised. But also, at, when you do finish, when they come to the end of use, that they are that they're looped back into a second or a third generation. And in New Zealand, it's quite difficult because when during the 80s and 90s, our um, um, the the there was a change of philosophy around um, around our protected economy. So we used to have all this regulation that protected manufacturers in New Zealand. That was removed. We had the free market economy. Most of our production went off to Asia. And it really decimated the textile and the clothing industry in New Zealand. So when we talk about circular economy, there is so little infrastructure in New Zealand that we can loop it back into. Mm. So that's a major kind of stumbling block in terms of creating this ideal circular economy. Mm. But we've taken a completely different approach to it. Instead of looking at textiles from a, and clothing from a product lens, if we look at what they actually are, all your, um, all your natural fibres, all your plant start again, all your garments that are made from plants, like your cottons, your linens, your hemp's, are Mm. all cellulosic. All your animal fibres, so all your wool, silk, cashmere, they're all proteins. And then you have your raft of uh, petrochemical Mm. garments from, you know, nylons, polyester, acrylic, etc. So textiles fall into those three main categories. So we started looking at it, okay, if there are those resources, where can those resources flow on shore? Mm. And one of the products projects that we've done recently is taking unwanted cotton clothing and sheets, etc., and um, taking it back to fibre form and creating this cellulose product that mm-hmm. goes into our roading. And the rationale for it is we import all the cellulose to go into our roads to stop the bitumen from draining down. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, we've got all the cellulose going to <coughs> landfill. So if we can create a like-for-like product we don't need to import this stuff mm-hmm. we haven't got the stuff going to landfill creating three times its weight in greenhouse gases and so it's a win-win so the first road made from textiles is on the terrace we laid it uh a month ago yeah. well we didn't we didn't personally lay it Fulton Hogan laid no, it <laughs> yeah so if you want to check it out 
just looks like a road, but um, we can measure the environmental <laughs> impacts of, you know, not bringing it into the country, yeah. having not, you yeah. know, not rotting away in landfill. Mm. So, so we do, we do that. So we prove the circular economy and real unsexy industrial applications that actually work. Mm. But there's a perfect example of what you exist to do, right? But it's the idea of reusing and reapplying textiles to extend its life. Yeah. That'd be a good summation. Yeah, yeah. And in doing that, like textiles are one of the most carbon intensive products in the world. Right. It's, I've, I think I've, you either have told me or I've read it through, and it's, it's greater than the aviation industry or something. I, I, that blew my mind. Because yeah. when we think, well, I think of uh, climate change and I think, mm. well, it's transport, it's energy. It's waste, which you've covered a little bit of that waste. But in terms of aviation, it's like, wow, that's staggering that the textiles industry is is uh, more um, uses more resources. Is that right? Yeah. yeah that... And we tend to think of our own personal clothing because that's mm. where we intersect with it. Yeah. But when you start looking at all the sheets and all the hospitals, all the towels, all the gowns, and, mm. and hospitals and prisons and retirement homes. Mm. And actually government is the single largest procurer of textiles in New Zealand and in many other countries as well. Police uniforms, say, customs yeah. uniforms, sure. you name it. Of course, yeah. So in terms of just going back to scale, picking up on Tan's point there, could you give us an idea about scale? Like, and I heard you speak, I think it was a BOMA talk, that you gave, uh, just looking at what you've been doing. 18 billion items of clothing per year is produced, is that right? 80 uh, billion? It's more than that, it's over 100 billion. billion. I'm, not, I'm not an accountant, I'm not good on the, that's good. On the numbers. Yeah, the, the zeros, right? <laughs> yeah. But that's where it comes from in scale, is to produce an item of clothing is not as simple as, you know, uh, it's, it's everything to produce it in terms of the carbon uh, for print of you know, moving it around to get dyed, to get processed, to then get shipped, to then get sold. Mm. It's wow. all that. But that's just one piece. 80 billion. So 80, 100 billion annually. Yeah. Items yeah. of clothing. Wow. So even if we do simple maths, it's not 10 billion yet in terms of our population. No. It's, wow. It's, it's uh, a high I think it's something like last 20 years, the. The actual clothing has has not doubled. It's twelve times what we used to consume mm. twenty years ago. Per person. And why is that? Is that wear and tear? Is it is it not durable? Is it we're not keeping them along? We're not repairing them. Like what's it's the... that fast fashion and ultra fast fashion model. Mm. Right. But then on the other side, on the commercial side, like textiles. Um, they're vital in terms of protecting us. Mm. You, you think of all the masks we wear now, the frontline workers' yeah. uniforms. You know, the mm. textiles are so imp- important in terms of personal um, protection and security. And so you don't necessarily, you don't want the hospitals to have fewer sheets or to have fewer towels. Mm. Or, so there's a whole part of the market that you don't want reduced. But there is a part of the market like just that ultra-fast fashion and fast fashion, that mm. actually is no good, and we need to um, we need to put some limits around it. When you say ultra, I know fast fashion, but I've never heard of ultra-fast fashion. 
So what do you mean by that? What's the distinction? Oh, God, they just, um, I don't know how many drops they do. It used to be four seasons, and then it was 16, and then it was, you know, every two weeks. And, uh, right, you know, the lightning drops, and the volumes are just so uh, massive, and the right. quality is so um, poor that these garments don't last. Mm. So, so yeah. it's the frequency, when, when you say fast, it's the frequency yeah. of which that goes into our stores or wherever we access that. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and when it takes three years so to hence volume. Some, sorry? Uh, the more frequency, more volume. Yeah, yeah. And, they're, and they're just pushing volume. And yeah. there's no limitation. When you think of, like, the fishing industry has got quotas and other industries have quotas, the fashion industry has zero quotas. Mm. Like, and, they, and as you said before, you know, it's so resource-intensive. Yeah. So... But, you know, like we work with the whole of industry in New Zealand and they ne- their customers are expecting change, they want change. That The New Zealand fashion industry is actually going to government and saying, hey, this is what would help mm. the industry. This will help, this will help us transition to that circular economy. The, you know, they're really yeah. front-footing it. Yeah. So there's, you know, there's a lot of people in the industry that are trying to are trying to bring that change. I certainly don't want to um, look like I'm, I'm I'm saying don't support fashion and don't mm. support, you know, it's such a skilled industry, mm. and we all need to wear clothes. Oh, <laughs> get in trouble. There's if something we don't. we don't want to see naked. What's it? We get in trouble if we don't. But uh, <laughs> but in terms of then the, the solutions here. Um, there are many and varied, I would imagine, um, in terms of we're talking about a, a, a purchasing decision, a repair decision, right? a hand-me-off, you know, gifting decision that would help with all this, right? It's not just a yeah, put-it-in-the-bin well, decision. Um, I, I did my master's research into ethical purchasing and I did mm. it through University of Liverpool. Liverpool yeah. yeah. And I went into that thinking that um, it was all about those personal decisions, you know, like right. it's mm. up to the individual to make the right choice. And I came through my master's research and I totally changed my mind. Oh, okay. Sure. Yeah. And and I think it's totally unfair that an individual has to research and and look at investigate everything single thing that they purchase from our clothing through to our eggs through to everything that we buy to ensure it has an ethical supply chain i think it's a really unfair responsibility to put on people's shoulders and actually the only way that we can um, really protect people and really protect the environment and the planet is through regulation and that's what I'd love right. to know your thoughts on that. Mm-hmm. And are you seeing that, that push come through from your from your space? Yeah, I mean, with finance and, and investment, it's uh, regulation's uh, a big part of it. Uh, so um, I think, in a way, uh, it is and it isn't. Um, so... With the uh, regulation side of things, the uh, what's um, the government's done in terms of the climate-related disclosures, as an example, that's a form of regulation. That's saying the biggest organisations in New Zealand have to, as part of their reporting, report on what their impact is on climate. Mm. So when you know, I talked about that word impact, if you're looking at it from a positive point of view, you're saying we're trying to create positive impact, which is something that's going to be good for 
plan it in people. Mm. So what then it is trying to do. <laughs> um, so reduce, that's good for the planet. Um, uh, so that's, that's a form of regulation that, that it's going to be, uh, it's asking for is more greater transparency in the end. And in a way, I think what you're doing, Benedict, is trying to tr- um, introduce more transparency, I would say, into the system, isn't it? Um, regulation does have a part to play, and that example that I mentioned there uh, can help with that. I think one of the things that we're, st- we're seeing in, in terms of impact investment is, is that regulation can sometimes be too much of a burden. It just may sound surprising to people, but... Uh, well, for smaller organisations, so if um, that, that climate-related disclosures, uh, regulation, legislation, same thing, that's aimed at the, um, the, the big organisations here in New Zealand. But if you start to put that regulation too much on some of the smaller organisations they may not be able to meet those mm. uh, compliance or reporting um, uh, cost in the end. That's, so the other way of looking at it is I absolutely agree that regulation has a big part to play, uh, but there's other ways that we can create the systems change. And one of them actually is, uh, I think it's more about calling it a principles-based approach. Uh, and what that means is that we're not trying to be prescriptive about how you'd go about doing impact investment. To get actually started on impact investment, or to get even some components of that, that's a good thing. That's what we mean by principles, um, right? So it allows the, uh, the individual, the organisation, some flexibility mm. about how they can approach this. It's like um, saying, DK Bernadette, here's the ru- ru- uh, rule book. You've got to follow that. That's more from a regulation, in this analogy point of view. What we're saying in principles is uh, uh, these are the, some of the kind of the, the coaching guidelines mm. that we'd like you to to um, work to, yeah. and then you can work that out based on your, uh, you know, the, the context of your um, situation. Okay. So, I'll give you a really good example um, in terms of impact uh, investment that we think that there should be measurement. You should measure what you are aiming to create impact for. That's a principle. Mm. Regulation or, or um, being really prescriptive about it is saying, you should use this tool. This the only tool one, two and three. These are the only tools that you can use to measure your impact. It's not going to work that way. A usefully is going to be different to another organisation. That could be doing solving oh, a completely okay. different problem. Yeah. Like, so, the regulation side of things, it's interesting when you ask that, Bernadette. It's uh, no doubt it's going to have a, a big impact, but it's about saying how can we work with all parts of the economy, mm. uh, all parts of the uh, all, all types of businesses, so that they can actually get started on this journey. And I think that's a big area. That's a big part of what we're trying to do is saying uh, we are not trying to say to you this is the best way about doing it. What we're trying to say is wherever you are in that journey, get started by doing this. I think that's, the, uh, that's, that's what we, how we differentiate between being um, something that is prescriptive or regulation-based versus something that's more principle-based. Um, the other thing I'd love really to add about this is you could look internationally uh, with a lot of this stuff. 
Um, but that seems, it's two things. It could be a little bit overwhelming for people. Um, we talk about this avalanche of compliance, avalanche of regulation that's coming. Um, a lot of it's from the EU, for example. Uh, a lot of that is really overwhelming for an organisation here in Aotearoa, New Zealand. So that's the overwhelming nature. The second part of this as well is that does it work in the context of which we exist? And some of that may not be the case. So that's why we think, well, a, a more principle-based approach is actually going to be um, better, um, and certainly in the short and medium term. And then we can actually say, is this going to work? Then what do we need? Um, how does regulation, say, you know, work um, mm. as part of this as well? So, I mean, the other part of it is uh, probably bringing in uh, when I, we were in I was at Pledge Me, so we used to help organisations, uh, impact organisations, um, to be able to raise money. Um, so regulation is good in the sense because it's, uh, in, 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 in its, in a way, it's introducing its transparency. That, that's what it's doing, regulation. It's saying, from an, uh, if you're an organisation looking to raise capital and I'm an investor, then regulations allows the... Uh, both of those two parties to talk to each other and present information in a way that's transparent so we can make a decision on mm. that. That's what it's doing. Mm. That's in the end what it's doing. But in a way, it's, well, it's, you're saying that transparency is really a principle, right? It's a, it's, we start off with the transparencies are, do we share the same information? Mm. When we're making this decision together, do we share the same information? Uh, where it goes wrong is is that where organisations are not being transparent about it. Yeah. Um, so you would have heard things like greenwashing. Mm. Yeah. And then with a con- yeah right, and probably within um, products textiles. And but within I'm more familiar with a from an investment point of view is that oh we're doing impact investment or we're doing something that is uh, responsible investment. Well show us. You know, Measure. You know, show, show us how you measure this. Mm. Show us how you're working towards this. You know, have we talked about that principle about measurement? Yeah. Well, show us then. Show us that you've done this because then you can back up the label that you've got, right? And that works across, right across the board. You've, you would have seen that in your textiles, I would yeah. say. Yeah. yeah, how you talked about, Bernadette, about uh, myself or DK. Oh, gosh, how do we know? How do we know if we're picking up this garment that it's actually what it says it is, if, mm. we, if we want to do good for the world? Um, I know I acknowledge your point, it's really overwhelming um, as well. And it's like that in investment. It's uh, how, how do we, um, as investors, um, uh, anyone that's got a KiwiSaver, uh, a, that puts money into KiwiSaver, they're, they're an investor. So they, they may not know that actually uh, what they're putting, um, their KiwiSaver provider is uh, putting a, uh, investing into organisations that may not be aligned with their values as well. Mm-hmm. So again, this is, comes back to that transparency thing. The challenge right. I, I yeah. really like the principles approach. Yeah. I think it's uh, more human-led mm. rather than framework-led. However, I'm also thinking about it as a like an, uh, like a metaphor of sport, for example. Like you and I can go and play badminton together, and we understand. The rules, and we can agree that certain rules don't apply in certain, you know, for this game, let's just play to 10 rather than 15 or whatever, right? Mm. So we can play, but it's a very low-level experience that we're having when it comes to sport as a whole. We're not playing it to prove anything other than probably spend time together. Versus, 
if we played badminton at the Olympics level, now the rules become very, very important. Yeah? And then now you get people who have maybe uh, specific areas of skills around the fringes of the rules, right? Whether they have a racket, racket that's just as big as the rules allow versus someone who doesn't. I'm playing with the metaphor here. You can imagine the rules allow us all to understand at least what excellence looks like. And maybe that's when it comes, if I extend the metaphor out in Olympics and I won the gold medal, and then I advertise this racket, that gives it the gold standard, if you like, mm-hmm. and then the recognition so that anybody who wants to play, even if they're playing for a laugh, they understand that this has had some accreditation associated to it mm-hmm. and a use case. So I'm kind of mixing my metaphors, apologies, but I'm trying to apply also a little bit of rigor because principles could also be a... That's nice for someone else. I want to outsource all my T-shirt making to Bangladesh and just like, you know, get the lowest. Yeah, I can say we're very principled as a company. We try to align you, but our transparency falls over once you ask the question of where and what. Just like the rules don't really apply until they are being applied by someone else Mm. is my Mm. point. Yeah. Yeah, I was agreeing but I was also seeing that actually there was a lot of there was too much trust in there yeah I think it's 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 a uh, there's at least two layers mm. so when we look at principle if we say we should we encourage uh, the measurement of uh, if you're wanting to do uh, be an impact enterprise or uh, mm. do impact investment then uh, it should be measured in terms of uh, the impact that you're trying to create and is that what you, you provide by the way in yeah. terms of Akina and your framework, are you approach? Uh, well, uh, Akina, so I have, um, I have two things that I do. Yeah. Uh, so Akina is, uh, we're a not-for-profit uh, consultancy that really coaches uh, organisations uh, to be able to create better social and environmental outcomes, like, usefully. <laughs> so we're, 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 we consider ourselves more of a coach. Got you. Using your analogy in terms of badminton, we're trying to get you to coach you to be the best uh, badminton player Um, and then the other thing that uh, I'm involved with is the the impact investing network Mm. so that's more about we have a sector uh, a group of 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 players Mm -hmm. uh, and we're trying to uh, grow the badminton uh, of industry or sector Mm -hmm. Right. We're trying to make all of those players in the in the badminton, using your analogy, DK, mm-hmm. better. Gotcha. But as well as that's good for the people and people. and, and yeah. planet, right? Yeah. So that's so back. What your question is is that it's uh, what I'm saying is is that how do you get people to start doing something that they don't know how to do? I right. And, yeah. and, Right? Yeah. And what you're saying is uh, you can start with principles, yeah. but then how do you even compare? How do you, com- how do you actually track yeah. where um, DK and Tan and Benedette are going, who's going to be the best badminton player? Is that what you're saying, in a way? And also pathways, right? Because in Pathway, your little yeah. group of people, there might be people who want to just play for fun mm-hmm. yeah. versus people who want to really excel and become then known and attract a following or other things like sponsorship. Mm. And, and uh, yeah, so there's those pathways. So you might have a, a group who are running leagues, 
they're just for fun and then there's the next league and the next league. That's how I see your network is yeah. growing people and bringing people up to levels rather than coming down to their, theirs. Yeah, that's right. So we call ourselves, it's the words used interchangeably, a community of practitioners. Um, so as with anything in this space, and it'll be the same as what Benedette's doing, the same with what you've done, DK, is when you start something, you're sort of trying to, there's a real ambiguity there. Mm. Mm. No one's done this before. Yeah. Yeah. There's no playbook. Right? We've just picked up the badminton racket for the first time. And drawn a little square. Hey, you've got a good skill there. Yeah. Uh, DK and I have a good skill. How do we learn from each other to be able to do this? Yeah. That's it's where such impact- a new space. Yeah, this is where impact investment, investment is space yeah. is at. And what we're saying is that, I'd really like your analogy, actually. Is we're not saying... Uh, uh, at all that you shouldn't be robust about this. In fact, impact measurement is that's the one thing that differentiates impact investment from the other forms of investment out there. Uh, okay. So it's the gold standard. Uh, what we like to think of it as is the gold standard, using your analogy in terms of gold, gold medals. Mm-hmm. It's the gold standard. And the reason why it's the gold standard is because you have to be able to measure to get to that impact that Benedict and I are talking about. Mm. And you, so that means you start off with, number one, with your intention. We are, usefully, we are, our intention is to create, um, re- reduce the CO2 um, that is um, produced from textiles. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's the impact. The way we're going to do this is we're going to measure, from a real scientific point of view, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the CO2 emissions, uh, we're going to track that with our systems the program that we're going to get this done mm. and then we're just going to keep on testing and, and measuring that we're going to monitor that to see if we can actually get to that yeah, end point that you, what you, you said yeah. so it's not actually but my point was more about that if you start first by saying to people we're going to regulate you we're going to be prescriptive about this yeah i don't think our view is that i don't think it's going to uh, get people to start that journey as much as what. Yeah. yeah. Do you think yeah. we've got time? Though? Mm. You know, when you think mm. we've got eight years or seven and a half to um, halve our emissions. Eight years is about my, my time from the job. Into it, I agree. Yeah, that's from what I'm been reading. Yeah. Yeah. Do yeah. you think that with with it being elective, that will move fast enough? Gosh, I mean. Uh, I've only got one view on it, of course. Uh, it's, a, it's a question for all of us, yeah. I think. You know? <laughs> I agree with you, firstly, uh, on that. It's about eight years. If you look at the IPCC report, mm-hmm. the third instalment, the trilogy, yep. it's not good news. No. Not a happy ending for us mm. right now. Um, so probably the blunt answer to your question, Bernadette, is we probably don't have enough time. In fact, what it actually said from what I took out from that report was that uh, we've, uh, we, might have, uh, we might have time at best. You know, it, otherwise, from a, oh, we've, we've actually lost the opportunity to keep it within that 1.5. Yeah. Mm. So, so more yeah. recently on that, to complement the report, it was also mm-hmm. last week, or yeah, it was last week, the... Uh, government emissions plan, wasn't it? That's right, yes. Which I've only seen the headline version, so I can't go into deeply. But I do get a little bit frustrated with all these little plans and stuff about Mm -hmm. the proportional emphasis on issues. Um, Because I think proportionality has got a 
big part to play in reducing any emissions. In other words, you proportion the greatest amount of effort on the biggest area that's creating the, the amount of carbon. Mm -hmm. uh, you've just illustrated that uh, in our previous discussion around the amount of carbon is bigger than the aviation industry textiles, right? And we also know Fonterra and our you know, lifestyle in New Zealand creates the most carbon as well and stuff. And surely all our emphasis should be going into the biggest areas that we can have change over the fastest period of time as well. Um, and it doesn't seem that simple equation, that proportionality going on. Yeah, I, or might I be was in a little, little bit. frustrated. I just didn't seem ambitious enough okay. to me. I, I read it and I just went... It actually made me feel more anxious. <laughs> I used to, right. you know, people often would ask me, like, do you, because of um, the climate emergency, do I feel um, anxious about it? And I used to say, well, no, not particularly, because every day we were working. You know, like you feel empowered when you're working and you're doing mm, something towards right. it. But I'm getting more and more anxious, and that it didn't. The, the focus on like more EVs mm. instead of other forms of transport and the, you know it just I mean it was a start but it didn't leave me feeling reassured and I think one of our issues is we've focused on our production emissions in New Zealand I mean instead of our instead of a balance between um, production and um, consumption emissions because a lot of the stuff that we Consume is the, well, the majority of it comes from beyond our borders, right? And yeah. so that sort of the only way we'll place that it falls within our emissions reduction plan is in the waste sector. Once it once mm. it's mm. so there's yeah, anyway, it it didn't make me feel reassured, but at least it's a start. I think anxious the way that you said anxious is anxious at best for me. <laughs> it really is. Yeah, and I agree with Bernadette that. It's really eight years. It's eight years or less. I mean, that's uh, if we think about it from that time frame. It's crazy. Yeah, it's that is a speck <laughs> in, the, yeah. in the timeline of, of our of the well, of our lives of your oldest boy, right? Yeah, that's right. There we go, and you that's think right. about it from a personal perspective, like my mm. oldest nephew. That's yeah, mm. like okay. Yeah. It's not long at all. Yeah. Mm. And I think there's a global shared experience here going on. The people are becoming more vocal and not only vocal but literate. And then secondly, more, I suppose, emotionally connected to the problem. And you've saw that in the last couple of World Economic Forums when you gather people like Greta Thunberg or mm -hmm. the great economist, I can't remember, who literally called out the people who flew in their private jets to come to you. You know, stuff like that. You, you're seeing a lot more emotive language being used. Mm. And I don't think that's, a, that's something to be, just go, oh, they're just being, you know, silly, liberal kind of people who can't hold a discussion very well. No, it's good. People are pissed off that there's not enough action, there's not enough understanding, not enough transparency, there's not enough principles mm. in the places where they should be. And there's not enough, I suppose, leverage from the people with the bigger levers, which are the governments and the, you know, everybody's making more money from a shareholder perspective than they've ever have done, yet everybody's paying more mm. and the world is paying more for it as well. Mm. It's like, uh, everything seems out of balance here. 
Do you have, in terms of your anxiety, did that extend to the textile industries, though, or is that specific to climate as a whole? Um, are you hopeful within your sector? Um, or what, how would you describe how you feel towards your sector? Uh, oh, God, it's a really good question. Mm-hmm. I feel anxious about it across the board. Okay. But I also, like within our sector, there's so many things that you could do that would radically reduce the emissions. And there's just been such a lack of lack of leadership and lack a lack of desire um, to make those changes because people are still back to the financial systems. People are still Mm. making vast amounts of money from the demise of, of planet Earth. And so what is going to flip it? And I, and I keep thinking there's a really great movie that came out years ago and it's No. And it was about, the, it was about a marketing campaign that enabled people to, make, to vote against Pinochet, the dictator Pinochet, and that was his mm. demise. But the, the way they approached it, instead of being, you know, people were being spirited off the streets and they were being, you know, uh, tortured and, you know, yeah. um, killed. And, and there was such a huge fear within the country. And so when the referendum came around, they brought this, this marketing, young marketing guy and this marketing team in to create a campaign for the referendum. And he made it really joyful. And he made it like those old 1970 Coke ads, where, you know, like you could <laughs> right, kind of yeah. vote no, and they had this lovely little jingle, <laughs> and they made it all, you know, sunshine and rainbows. And it really empowered people to act because mm. if we are, if we are working from a place place of fear, we're not going to do yeah. our best work. And so I think the way for us to to move forward and to mm. empower people is through really positive, happy stories. And we're not seeing them coming through because a lot of the communication has been led by the scientists mm-hmm. and their, their message is serious, as it should be. But there hasn't been that next level of, of um, communicators to bring those really positive stories and to bring the joy and to enable us all to opt in. Good point. That's a real... I, I really love that example. When you're talking about that example, Bennett, all I could, or in my head, is that um, I can't remember now. It's one of the Nordic countries. I think it was uh, the Netherlands. So when you go through uh, the, um, if you're driving in the car and you go through, and you know how with our speed cameras, we get slowed down if you're above the speed limit. So if you go through the in the Netherlands. Um, there's an area there where you go through and it gives you the smiley face that you can go <laughs> in the right speed limit. So and what they actually noticed, Sorry. if we talk about this, um, if we try to get this as a, that's the principle, right? The principle of, hey, mm. why don't we start off by thinking that people are going to respond more from a positive point of view. Then we could actually start measuring it for robustness. Okay. What they actually found was that people, this, the average speed limit actually started to decrease. From the reference point of, we're going to tell, yeah. you know, we're, we're going to go slow down. Mm. <laughs> so that's, I love what Benedict was just said there about if we're framing it in the positive way, then that's the way that we can actually get people to do this. I think that's, that's, yeah. that's got to be one of the, we, we have to, we have to, there is anxiousness, no doubt about it. There's a whole cocktail of emotions, but if one of the, uh, one of the emotions is not optimism or hope, then... Mm. Yeah, we, yeah, we don't dangerous. have much. Yeah, we, we, 
we, we're not going to be able to proceed. We can't make. Yeah. We can't progress. So it's, thank you for that. It's yeah, that and your example as well about mm. reinforcing the behaviour that you want to see. Mm. You know, so you can apply that across the board, whether mm. it be in, in investing, reinforcing the investment portfolio with someone into impact or more kind of uh, social-led good mm-hmm. projects versus celebrating someone who's earned a huge amount of money and then gone down to Queenstown and bought a few properties. Yeah. It's like, what do we celebrate here? Mm. Yeah. And the latter, sorry, the former is the one we should focus yeah. on. I love also what you said about, Bernard, about the, the stories that are, that are there that are just not known. I think that's one of the big areas that we came yeah. to is that we said, is that we've, um, just based on that reference point I mentioned before, is that uh, we're, uh, we're all learning this uh, about impact investing. Uh, overseas has probably been doing this for a bit longer than here in Aotearoa New Zealand. Uh, but we've been doing it long enough now. Um, and we know our context. We know our social, cultural context. Uh, so we should... And so the point is, linking to Benedict's point, is that we should be looking at this from a, um, what are our strengths? What are we doing that's right? And just, and we can learn from that. It doesn't have to be perfect. Like that. Because we don't have time. No, <laughs> no. No, you don't, you're can right. Can that you be don't liberating? Can that be liberating? You know, we don't actually have time. We don't need to get this completely right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. you know, lots of organisations have that research and development arm where it's um, fail fast, like try it, give it a shot, and it enables people to do that. Mm. And then if it doesn't work, you know, you know within a short period of time, move on to the next one. Mm. Yeah. And and I think we need that. With our, we need to be a lot more explorative in, with our financial models. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an area of, I totally agree with you. So when you talk about exploratory um, financial models, I think that's impact investment can be a form of that. So it could be that, yeah, we talked about that risk, return, and then impact. So for the, the impact investor that is uh, purpose-led and um, where the values there are aligned, and they would look at this and say, well, uh, this investment here, we are willing to uh, take on balance all those three factors to be actually uh, uh, to be able to support this. So, uh, when you talked about say exploratory, you could combine say um, uh, like someone in philanthropy giving uh, a grant early on. So you, it might be not an organisation that's ready for investment. So you could uh, get. Uh, someone in uh, an organisation in philanthropy to actually actually provide you with a grant, as an example. Um, or it could be uh, providing a loan, and then uh, someone else could actually combine that investment as well. Because sometimes you probably would have been in a situation where uh, it's you need enough form of investment to be able to scale, mm-hmm. but one investor is not going to give that to you. So you can combine um, different forms of investment. Mm-hmm to be able to actually make this work. And that's where impact investment can be innovative, like that. It's not uh, the venture capital type of model where... Extractive. You you just mentioned uh, right at the start, doesn't it, 10x, that's what we need. Mm. That's not going to work for... The reality is with Mm. those 10... It's so rare that they get the 10x. 
And we've mm. been looking at models out of the US and there's some really, really, I mean, they're more advanced in terms mm -hmm. of the impact investment exploration. But yeah. models where they've, like they bring in investors to reach profitability and reach this um, set return on their investment and then they're bought out. And so all they do is they enable the system. They're not there to to go, you know, to be there for 10 years or for 20 years. It's, it's reached that point of investment. Mm -hmm. Be the impact investor because you're enabling that company and then your funds, uh, you're paid out and you withdraw and then you can go on to invest in something else. And it speeds up the, in theory, it speeds up that financial cycle, but it also speeds up the, the scaling of these businesses. Mm. But you don't get a 10x, you get a, you get whatever the agreed amount is and then you're gone. And these, these are really, really interesting, interesting models. Mm -hmm. So in terms of investment, just to linger a little bit, like I know Angel, Ven uh, Capital Ventures, Venture Capital, stuff, Venture Capital, thank you. Yeah. And then Impact. Could you, for those who are listening, like who are like, I know investing, but what are the differences? Because I've heard all these different terms. I mean, in a way, it's, uh, uh, we can't answer that question, but it's, it depends who you ask. And right. it depends from where. So if for, um, uh, for someone, uh, if you ask a, a Kiwi investor um, what their definition of an angel investment is, it could be really different for a US one or an Australian one. Okay. Uh, and it could be different based on the, the types of organisations they're looking to invest in, okay. the amounts that they're looking so it's a really from, woolly phrase there, well, depending well, on where you are in the world. It's not woolly. It's more that it's going to be different depending on that the uh, the context or the country that you're you're, you're at, uh, and also it's there's other areas uh, as part of this as well. It's the New Zealand market is smaller mm. as well. So when we talk about uh, venture capital as an example, uh, there's a lot more venture capital funds in Australia in the US, mm. whereas ours is it's actually really picked up a lot over the last few years, yeah. uh, but it's still limited relatively so. So mm. it's the definition thing is, it can be useful, um, but I think, always think it's got to be within the, um, who, who's asking yep. <laughs> and what context it is. And where they're asking from, it sounds yeah. like as well. Yeah, and no, I think I um, the way to probably look at it is that at what, at what stage, uh, if you're looking at it from a, uh, an organisation looking to get investment, say usefully as an example, at what stage are you at and what are your aspirations? Mm. You know, so um, it could be so... Seed funding, as an example, could be well. The stage that we're at is that we're only we're just trying to prove this. It's we we may not. You know, it's it's not a fully formed uh, product or service yet. It's just we're just trying to prove this. Yeah. Uh, to the you know right at the other end. Whereas and then you might have angel in, in between that, and then the venture capital would be more. Actually, we're really looking to now to really scale and grow this. Um, grow grow the. Get into other markets. We'll, we'll probably uh, we think that we've got uh, a good offering here, better product or service, and we're actually really looking now for big um, forms of investment to be able to really grow, um, typically into either the existing market or another market. Mm. So it's probably the better to ask the question in terms of definition is who you who are you asking? Who's asking? 
and 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 what you know, what stage you know, what stage are you yeah, at? What are you yeah, yeah. What are what are your aspirations? Where you're at? Where, what are your aspirations? So yeah, um, we when uh, certainly uh, we're trying to not use those terms as much as we can actually. Yeah, because you're uh, more about impact. Impact investing could be all of those, but it's mainly about the social good that comes out or the environmental good. Well, it's all. It's, 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 we're needing to take all of them into account. So, yeah. um, so for example, the uh, Impact Enterprise Fund, uh, which is uh, Akin is a part of that, mm-hmm. and we're one of the partners, uh, and that needs to produce uh, a competitive market return mm-hmm. as well as impact as well as a showing that you can actually, you're, you're measuring this and how you, you have a, an impact model. Um, so what that, an impact model is essentially uh, how, show us uh, how you're actually going to go through mm. and create the impact that you said. So it's a, mm. what activities do you do? What are your short-term outcomes? Long term, to actually be able to create that difference in the world, because impact is just the difference that you make, want to make in the world. Do you align to any of the SDGs? Yeah. Uh, the SDGs, in a way, are um, we should all do that. Um, the there are impact um, models that would align with that. Um, it's the SDGs, in a way, are uh, almost like the, um, the the pillars of our of our world. Right. Yeah. So in a way, everyone needs to link to those in some way. You, mm. you probably, as an organisation, you may not be able to, depending on what your um, impact is, you won't be able to cover them all, mm-hmm. but you probably want to focus on a few of them. Yeah, um, I just thought about it as a framework, as a thing that you can reference when you're talking about measuring that hits you know, those seven pillars, yeah. if you like. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so there's, there's 13, or oh, there's 17, sorry, 17. Um, and when I talked about the real world uh, difference or the real world outcomes, that's what SDGs is all about. Yeah. Do you have a favourite? Uh, no, I don't think so because it's going to take it's going to take a combination of those yeah. uh, to be able to to get ourselves out of this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I think uh, yeah. I mean, it's again, it's probably more of a case of. Uh, who, who is it that you, um, you know, what, what organisation are you, what country are you, what's, what's most important for you? So that I mean, so in New Zealand, our, the SDGs that we're trying to, is more important for us, it's probably going to be different to say where I'm from in Vietnam, mm. just because the situation is different. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So yeah. it's just, it is. But we're going to need, every country's going to need to solve all of those. Mm. It, yeah. It's what. DK was saying it is about proportionality, which I love that word because that really proportionality just allows us then to determine, given the choice, uh, what are we actually going to focus on? Sure. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. And prioritisation. Exactly. Well. If you've got to exactly. deliver on all seventeen, then that's right. What are your front yeah. runners? That's right. Yeah. So, I mean, right now, I think we could probably all agree that climate change is. You know, it's going to have to be. Yeah, if you don't fix that when everyone else falls apart, because yeah. they're tying in with the oceans, and then you've got DNI involved in there, and you've got clean drinking water, accessibility to uh, equal opportunities of that's know, right. everything, you know, jobs and lifestyle and that's improvement right. and education. And stuff. Mm. If you don't have a world, yeah. you've got none yeah. of the others. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
yeah. which is, can I talk um, about some of the projects you've been, been involved with? Because we first met back in 2013, yeah. 12, my God, uh, at one of the first TEDx's I ran, TEDx Tiaro, before it became TEDx Wellington, like one of the baby ones yeah. that we ran, where you, you were just, you know, getting into this journey. Uh, and even by then, you had some interesting stories. But looking back since then, and some of the stuff I was reading up online about you, and obviously keeping an eye on you as well, all the stuff that you're doing, some of the projects you've been involved with have been really illustrative of what you're trying to achieve. And I think our listeners and other people are dropping in going, okay, that sounded good, but what does it actually mean? You know. So could you illustrate through a couple of examples the last couple of years the projects you've been involved with yeah, that sure. really illustrate what you're trying to do? Yeah, well, our, our journey, as I say, yeah. <laughs> our journey started way back in the mid-2000s. And um, a friend of mine, who's a marine biologist, was writing a book on global warming. He said, what do you know about sustainable textiles? And I knew the term, but that was kind of it. And he said, the publisher, Penguin, needed another chapter, and could I... Um, guest write it and I had a month to research it and write it and it just blew me away I thought we're doing this all wrong so mm. we've been working in that circular economy space for well 15 or so years now mm. and um, initially our first eight years were all international projects because New Zealand's sustainability was really in its nascent stages mm. it was a real focus on um on the social aspect, not so much in the environmental aspect. And so, yeah, the first, yeah, eight years were all working with global companies on international, in, in international projects. And what that did is we understood scale and impact because we won the sustainability award from Prince Charles and we're feeling like sustainability heroes yeah, and then were. and then it was working with Starbucks and then we actually got to see one of their warehouses and we thought you know we could take a thousand of their old jute coffee sacks out of it make no difference because it's just going to flood back in mm. and we realized that individual projects were never going to solve it and what was needed was systems change so mm. 2016 we came back to New Zealand and we're invited in we were invited to review a project with um, a corporate who was wanting to extend the life of the uniforms by re-engineering it but it wasn't scalable so we were asked to review it and create a circular um, solution for them and and we saw it what we could also achieve at the same time was the design of New Zealand circular systems. So we invited in lights of Air New Zealand and Fonterra and big corporate users of textiles. And um, so that's what it's been doing. So the last five years, we've co-designed New Zealand circular economy system. We've proven all the parts. And now we are, and now we're implementing it. And part of that is we're about to go into a capital raise. So, um, Akina funded all the um, the lawyers and the um, advisors and determining our, our business model, which is different to most, and um, getting all that expert advice. So we're just about to go into our into our um, capital raise. And yeah, get the so in developing our products that are made out of unwanted textiles, we've been um, reliant on third parties to, you know, 
shred them and extrude them and then turn them into pellets and you know so they so it's a really inefficient system at the moment because mm. other people are doing the manufacturing. So we're going to capital raise to um, to bring that capability onshore in New Zealand so we can start dealing with right. our textile waste here so it doesn't have to go somewhere else. Yeah. That's big. It's huge. It's, it's huge and oh, thank you for, for sharing that. It's huge and I think this is one of the things that learned and Benedict will know this it takes so many years to get to this day yeah. when you actually <laughs> to get to get uh, a stage where you can say oh I'm, we're ready to take on investment mm. yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it's and I'm, I'm saying it's building your organisation testing this what, what you're doing working with uh, organisations and those are these are big really great organisations you know, iconic organisations mm. aren't they yeah um, and then there's all and then you get to the stage with the capital raising and you're like oh gosh we're just really at the start line yeah because yeah. there's so much to do in terms of the documents that you have to put yeah. it's the financials and then because uh, Benedict usefully it's, it's impact organisation so there's the other element as well mm. which is the we're not just a business trying to Make more stuff to give the financial return. Yeah, where it's equally as important, if not more important, is in terms of our our impact. So that's mm. the, but that's work as well, isn't it, Bernadette? To yeah. to to refine that and yeah. It, so. It's been a huge amount of work, and it's been it's... Um, such a steep learning curve for me. It's been, oh, I just feel like my brain's got slightly bigger. Yeah. <laughs> but um, it's been incredible and I'm so pleased we've done the work. But the other thing about it is it's just enabled me to because I'm not a I'm not very good at the minute. Like I've never been good at the detailed stuff. I'm just always bigger picture person. And like Peter on our team, he's he's the He's a cross the T's and dot the I's and make sure everything, thank God, yeah. you know, we have someone like that on the team because otherwise it would, you know, fall over in a nanosecond. But um, it's been really interesting because you realise in, in demonstrating and improving it for ourselves, it enables other people to, you know, what we're what we're doing a lot is talking to a lot of people because people within the same, within that impact space are all also trying to understand how we move it. And so there's these massive kind of collaborative discussions to have is because we're all just figuring it out as we go yeah. and as we're all part of this massive systems change. Yeah. Um, sorry, sorry DJ, just going to ask another uh, question about when you talk about building and creating a system for manufacturing onshore, so here in New Zealand, what will you be manufacturing or repurposing? We, we repurpose just that, that there's 200,000 tonnes of textile waste goes to landfill in New Zealand. So you want to take that out of landfill and re... Reuse it because... Badminton um, sweatbands. Love it. Badminton sweatbands. Oh, yeah. Okay, girl. <laughs> That's say. what's going to happen. Yeah, we're going to become a nation of badminton players. It's <laughs> <laughs> a market we hadn't thought about. Come on, it's a growing market. You might have your first customer to your. There left. we go. But you're just <laughs> going to reuse it, repurpose it, like for other creative projects, like you just described yeah. with the 
the roading. The roading and all yeah. the other aspects of I, I just find that so profound, the roading one. Yeah. That's just, just, that is so, so cool. That's and so it's cool. not a... Um, like, it's not something that... You, what we did was, with Scion, we looked at, OK, if we've got all this massive amounts of cellulose or, mm. you know, protein, what are the industries that use them? And the roading industry uses it. And often, I think we get stuck with our circular economy thinking, thinking that textiles should go back into a textile product. But actually going back into roading is a far more valuable product Mm. than turning it back into a textile. That's fascinating. It's like selling your offcuts. So if you've got sawdust, you could sell it just as sawdust. Or you could sell it, you could mash it all up and make it, you know, high-density wood pellets. You know, it's the same thing, Mm. but people will pay more for wood pellets than sawdust. Yeah, yeah. Because it's going to different places. You check me on this, but is, is that what you mean when you when you talk about that we're not trying to do this at a product level? It's more at a resource level, which is actually it's it's a it's a more fundamental uh, level that you're talking about, which is a you know uh, we can take this this uh, resource and use it in different applications. Yeah. We're not trying to transfer a product from one to the other, it's just actually, it's actually a lot, you know, at a more fundamental level, you've broken that down, that product more, into like a resource point of view. And it removes all those industry silos. Yeah, Yeah. I got it. Yeah, I get that. So once you remove, you know, it doesn't have to stay in the textile industry, or it doesn't have to stay in this industry, it just really opens all the opportunities for for reuse. Yeah. I get that. And that has come out of not because it's ideal to turn it, uh, how am I saying this, back to front. Um, it has come out of, out of our limitations. So our limitations being we're a tiny country, so we don't have um, that many people here. And we're very, very remote. And we also don't have the infrastructure in the textile industry. So those challenges are the ones that make, force you to think more creatively. Mm. Like, what can we do with this? Sure. There's a beautiful uh, quote by a guy called Jürgen Leith, who's a, like a designer. He mm-hmm. said, constraints liberate my imagination. So it's a similar yeah. idea that we are constrained by our physicality, by our scale, by that we just import, we don't produce ourselves, but then you've got to think more imaginatively about how we take that out of the system mm-hmm. uh, and reposition it. Yeah. So that, yeah, that's the material fabrication, we kind of reordering it and going backwards. And, and some of the stuff you mentioned before about extruding, you can take the, the polymers and the textiles, uh, which are like nylon and polyester. Where would that go? What use would that have? Because that's usually oh, no, seen it's... as the, the dirtiest, I suppose. Well, um, the majority textile fibre type is polyester. It is, right. And so when you re-extrude it, it's recycled polyester, which goes into, you know, virtually every plastic product. Mm-hmm. Well, not every, but, you know, it's got a vast range of applications. Yeah. Vast. Yeah. That's the problem at the moment in terms of the new reports where we're ingesting so much plastics. And if polyester is going back into plastic, it's just more plastic. Yeah. Kind of need less of it. Yeah. But then we're not, if, if you've got all this plastic that already exists, then you're not mm. creating new plastic. Right. Yeah, exactly. So the carbon then drops because, gotcha. You're not, ex- you're not extracting new resources because it's already here. Mm. And it's sitting in the landfill for hundreds of years. Yeah, 
that's a big one. Finitit, um, just picking up what DK was saying about uh, the imagination, are you able to tell us some of the other applications, some of the big picture stuff that you're, you're able to share? Like what, um, where could this go? Well, they're mostly around the construction industry mm. and um, concrete in particular accounts for 7% of global carbon mm-hmm. budget at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really resource intensive and we use it in everything we build. Mm-hmm. And by adding textiles into that, into it. it reduces the weight, it reduces the carbon emissions and adds tens- tensile strength. Wow. So, um, you know, there are all those sorts of um, mm. all those sorts of applications that uh, enable other industries to reduce their emissions. Mm. So textiles can kind of flow across, you know, there's a vast array. Wow. That's fascinating because I do a, a, every month I MC an online event for the architectural industry. And uh, we have like three to 400 people attend globally. And there's a big literacy uptick in the understanding of the impact and what they design and how construction then construction is a result of architecture right so someone had to design it you yeah. know to start no one would just build mm. um so then they're starting to really close the gap on that and they're starting to move towards more renewables like obviously back to wood you know and tricks with wood like clt cross laminated timber where they're building those skyscrapers again out of yeah. wood because it's got a higher tensile strength than steel and the embodied carbon is much, much lower and it's mm. renewable so you can pull it down and it doesn't have to go into landfill, it can be reused or just reground down and put it in. So I see a huge opportunity there in the construction because they're starting to even talk about this and they understand, I think uh, we had a great uh, TEDx Wellington talk by Jed Finch who also was involved in this a couple of uh, episodes ago where one of his issues is he's been trying to tackle is because 50% of landfill waste is construction waste, mm. which we don't understand. Is like people just pull down buildings left, right, and said all the in- inners of buildings like mm. only have like an eight-year um, lifestyle. Mm. But everything that you build is usually impregnated with horrible stuff, you know, with stuff that you can't really recycle. Mm. Like even the word just been kind of treated with arsenic and even stuff like that. Yeah. It just goes into landfill. So if you can make a healthier alternative and also reuse an existing stuff that's already being produced, but here I can imagine there's a huge amount of offshore ship um, product as well. Be yeah, because our supply chains have, you know, so disrupted and, you know, oh, in yeah. the building industry trying to get... Uh, what is it? Yeah. Jib. It's like gold. It's the whole black market going on. Also, as you say, like with the retirement homes, they they mm. rip them out on average every two years. The interiors, yeah. because that's mm. a you know the, the then the next customer comes along and they want a fresh interior. Yeah. So it's a two year cycle generally. Oh. It's phenomenal. Crazy. Gosh, it's almost like fast fashion, using the yeah. analogy that you were just mentioned before. Yeah. This is like, <laughs> fast Gosh. <laughs> Two years, is, that's not long at all. No. Yeah. Wow. I think that's the average. It's not the case. Sure, but still, yeah. it's still. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So, sorry, I'm eating now. I'd like to ask a question to both of you, which is um, when we sat down, we talked about the tagline being courageous conversations with bold humans. You love the bold bit, I love the courage bit, or courageous bit. What does courage look like in both your 
fields of industries and sectors. Mm. Could you point to something like that? That's, that's courage there, or courageous. Courageous. I have a view that it's the, it's the little things, the little moments, uh, and the little parts in the relationship that make the big changes. Uh, so the courageous things that are happening in impact investment um, is the CEOs of uh, foundations, of uh, trust, that are going to their trustees, that are going to their chairs and saying, we don't have anything in impact investment. Mm. The re- we need to do that if we are going to be contributing to the challenges. Mm. Uh, we can't just do this with grants. Mm. And it's the little micro ones, things like that, and in combination with the persistence, because we hear stories where it could take a number of years for this to happen. Mm. Because they, for if it's... It could be trustees or a combination of the trustees just not convinced about this, going back to that. Oh, but it's too much risk. Yeah. Not for not enough return. But aren't we in the business of, aren't we as a foundation uh, to be able to create impact, to contribute to our communities? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, but then when it actually the rubber meets the road, it's oh, it's too much risk. So it's either the trustees or an investment committee um, point of view. And I think it's, that's where the courage is. And the other courage is, uh, and it's not just because Benedette is here, is that, so that's from myself, one of the working particularly with Akina, working more coaching uh, impact organisations, mm. it's those that are saying, you know, we see that the world is heading in the wrong direction mm. and the rate that we're getting there is too fast. Uh, we need to do, we, we, we're going to choose, deliberately choose a model that is actually going to solve some of that. We're not going to go down that route of uh, just more uh, growth revenue. Mm. Um, it's that, I've, heard, I've read that um, where it's, it's, it's not, it's the, we got to question the rate of growth that we are heading and the direction of that growth. That's what we need to think about. Indeed. And I think it's the courageous individuals and organisations that are looking at this and going, I have a, you know, do I want to take the blue or the red pill? <laughs> right? Yeah. And it's that there and then having that persistence to actually go and do this. So, number one, influence the this decision makers that actually hold this are making the decisions for these investments. Mm-hmm. Um, or, and number two, those organisations that are actually seeking it, there's investment to actually make better um, for the world and the people within it. I think those are my two pieces. Yeah. Oh, how about you, Bernadette? Right. What does courage Can I come look? back to the bold thing? <laughs> you like the bold. Yeah. You love the bold. I love the bold. Yeah. And I think, you know, returning to um, the relationship with the word is that, you know, going to a, a, a 
private um, Catholic girls school like the last thing they wanted was bold girls they wanted uh, they wanted obedient girls and so if you're you know that was a threat and if you were bold it was really frowned upon but um, but I've always claimed it because to me bold and curiosity are kind of the same thing they bound mm. together mm. but um, and boldness is not just accepting something without without being curious about it I don't know if I'm making sense here but um, in bold uh, to me that the curiosity and the and courageousness are hand in hand as well okay anyway um, so I'd like to reclaim that word bold <laughs> all yours um, it's in the tagline it's already yours yeah um, and I think yeah we do need more boldness mm. and where I'm seeing that courageousness and that boldness is um, things like just setting up the Climate Change Commission. Yeah. Right? That, that is just an independent government body that can question and nudge and um, help everything evolve mm. from, a, from a separate independent organisation. I think that was really bold, yeah. really bold. And then there are really bold people out there who are, who are standing up and having the, like Mike Joy with our waterways and he's, he's fighting and fighting and fighting. And we'll all thank him one day. Mm. He's been a stone in someone's shoe. And, but if it isn't for people like him, then are we just going to accept this plodding rate that we are, you know, we're heading off the cliff in? Yeah. And the, and being part of the Edmund Hillary Fellowship, there's so many people from all around the world doing incredible, incredible things every day that you don't see in the media, and they're the things that give me hope for humanity, mm. and they're just. Big, big stuff. I like that. Yeah, that, mm. that's that's what gives me hope. The, mm. the, but also, I think with our children, we need to encourage them and allow them to be bold too. Should we be teaching certain things in school that we're not yet about investing and impact investing, or you know, reusing textiles? Are we doing enough of that when you talk about children? I think um, financial literacy is incredibly important. I didn't grow up with it. I, um, in fact, I grew up almost numerically illiterate, <laughs> which, is, which is why during this capital race has been quite interesting for me. Like, I, when my father died and then I was moved to schools, I moved to a school whose um, mathematics were more advanced than where we were at, and so I was always kind of behind, and it never, it was never picked up. Because I could always just do enough to, you know, pass. And, um, but it made me completely lose my confidence around numeracy. And, um, and I've since gone on to get a, a master's level accounting paper, which my accountant thinks hilarious. Because even though I've got this paper, I still don't, I feel like I don't understand it on a deep level. Like I can intellectually do it. 
but I don't understand it. And um, so I think any kind of, I think that that literacy around finances mm. is equally as important as just your straight mathematics. And on to that as well, how the systems of economies interact, right? Because it's not just about the P&Ls or you know, what one and one makes, you know, it's also about, well, one and one actually makes more over here because of this thing called inflation or whatever and stuff. You know, you didn't, and this economy, economics of scale or stats area uh, influences this way, you know, and mortgages are all about this and tied to the bank and the banks are tied to this. And I never got taught any of that and I still struggle with it. So it kind of glazes over like you is kind of we don't have a literacy or a hunger curiosity because it was never the flame was never fanned yeah you know there were no stories that I got excited about so because well, it can seem really yeah. mm. um, theoretical and removed from real life yeah in bringing it mm. closer in because it's so much of how we live is is dependent on our, on our financial systems totally. but, yeah. yeah. I agree with you there, financial literacy. And I think, Bernadette, the, I've spent a bit of time in adult education, which is uh, working with uh, farmers and uh, to be able to have literacy with uh, numbers and things like that. And you might ask them, a, what is a relative abstract mathematical concept? And they will probably, their eyes will gloss over it, yeah. But put that in the context of their farm operation, they're doing really complex maths, so it's all within context, I think, and that's the thing. You're, you talk about your, the fact that you're not financially literate. Well, I'd probably question that and say, well, you probably haven't been shown it in the context that you understand. Mm. And I think that's the thing, of, back to DK's question, is that, well, I think, yep, what are we teaching our kids, but it's more about at what, at what context are we uh, are we teaching them in, you know. So, so I would. So I've got uh, two children, and um, they're five and eight, and um, absolute joy of my life. And I, to them, I think it's more about saying to them that financial literacy is. Um, there's two things here. It's um, let's um, let's create a bit of a uh, a jar or whatever it is, and yeah. you know, and it's something that they can relate to. Yeah. It's like, when you create this jar, then you can do good deeds to get put into, uh, into that jar. It means something to you. And we can do the numbers behind it. How much? You know, what is it that you want? Mm. How much is that? You can go on, online and research that. That's, that's the amount. Mm. It's the value of that. But the thing that you do to get that is... The deeds. Yeah, nice. Um, so that's that's what I mean by you know you, it all makes sense to them. It's it's in context, right? Yeah. Um, and if you do them this lots of times, well, that's going to make it faster, isn't it? That's that's multiplication. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> what we mean when we say multiply. You know, that's yeah. that's the kind of thing. Um, the other thing as well is so I. And this is a little bit of a tangent, but it's diff- hopefully it's related to your question, DK. Is I coach football. And I've really loved it for the last... We're just into our f- season right now. Um, just started the, the, the new season. And for me, I think the one thing I would say um, to have kids is to teach them. It's not it's less about um, what we're teaching them. It's probably more about can you 
know the strengths of the people in your team. Okay. So what I've been trying to do is with football, uh, and I don't know much about football, but I do know about uh, what they would do well. So I would be saying to the, uh, the kids, like, this is what you do really, really well. What is else? What else are you, your teammates good at? Mm. So put them in a, and put them in a position that they can use that. Clever. So um, I won't use their names because their parents yeah. may not. But um, so your teammate, he's got a really good left foot. Okay. So when you pass him that ball, where do you want that to go? Or your teammate is really, really fast. What is, you know, I mean, I think that's the, in a way, that's the fundamental skill, if you like. How can we know the strengths and the superpowers of others? And how do we create that, the connectedness there? Mm, and I think it's back to that micro thing again that I talked about. I think all the little things, the, the little interactions that we have with each other, I think, mm. like this, I think they really add up. Um, because it's action. It's yeah. action and motion. It's, uh, it's you know that's that's what I that's what I think, um, and it, and that's uh, replicable in any type of environment mm. in a football field or in a in a classroom. It's like mm. um, don't st- stop to think about. Yep, understand yourself in terms of where you're coming from. But then, what is it? The how can you find the strengths and the superpowers of others to you know to. Yeah. Because uh, that's how we're going to do this, right? We're yeah. going to make this, make but all these. Um, Bernadette mentioned like the literacy that we failed to receive and <laughs> where we're at in moments. Mm. In terms of your space, I'm I'm fascinated because and just to get your just simple response to, mm. you know, there's things like shares and hatch. So the idea of investing has always been distant to me because I didn't have money and I'm not an investor. And now, boom, we got apps on our phone that we can, like, drop some coin into and, boom, we can invest, apparently, in the stock market and have fun with it. What's your take on the rise of these, I suppose, very uh, approachable and applicable apps to the sector that you were involved with? I think in anything that's going to create greater accessibility for people is it's a wonderful thing. Yeah. I think in the end that's, um, that's what it's all about. So before this was a, um, before Shares and Hatch and um, you didn't have people, uh, what we call retail investors, which is people that don't uh, invest for a living professionally. It's people that have money in KiwiSavers and, and do it in their own time, yeah. for example. Uh, if we can get people doing this more, uh, the more and more you do things, the more and more that you we all have build um, capability and financial literacy. It's mm. uh, that's cool. I think it's a, a wonderful thing, and uh, I think the other thing is is it's uh, we got to ask um, you know, the what, which is this is the uh, that shares and and hatch. Um, it's great because they're doing that, giving us with uh, tools to do the what. Yeah. In this case, investing. Mm-hmm. Um, which is great because it's getting um, increasing accessibility. And the other question then we have to follow up really quickly is uh, how we're doing this. What's the manner which we're doing this? Yeah. I think that's really important as well. You know, it's mm. come with, it's connecting some of the themes that Bernadette and I have been talking about today in, in UDK, which is that we can go down this path and continue to do the what, but it's how are we doing this and yeah. what direction are we going in? 
and probably even the why, which ties back to well, the yeah. beginning about what you sure. both exist to do. And that mm. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So with that, you know, the the um, stock market used to be really quite gated. And so this has um, democratised those sorts of shares. This platform mm. has democratised investment. Are you seeing a flood of, of funds through it? Does it open up there? Or, I mean, now is probably not the time to talk about it when, you know, the cost of living is going through the roof and things mm. are, are really challenging mm. for many, many people, you know, that wouldn't have the spare coin to throw into something like that. But is it is it kind of mining a new stream of, of capital because it's so accessible? I mean, I, I don't actually know the numbers and um, my space is probably more on the impact investment side of things. And we're certainly seeing growth in that. Um, but I, I mean, I don't know actually from a numbers point of view um, how much investment um, has been generated in addition because of the, yeah. these platforms. The access. Um, but I mean, I think... Yeah, I mean, we, we are definitely seeing um, more um, in the impact investment side of things. Um, so I can definitely say that's... Um, that Could that. be a corollary, like, you know, a follow over. People are getting more excited about that. Yeah, I mean, where I see the two connecting is that uh, there's a, not a lot in the impact investment space that retail investors, the people that don't do it professionally, mm. can actually put their money into. It's usually done by... Uh, organisations, um, foundations, uh, investment managers, and right. those kind of things. Yeah. Um, but well, that's where I see the, the opportunity is that connecting those two mm-hmm. and saying, um, uh, Benedict, DK, you are, are not professional investors, but you've uh, these are what's important to you. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, this is the impact that you'd like to, 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 to have, and then you can actually choose either your KiwiSaver provider or funds, what you mentioned in the debt, to be able to actually put, you know, um, to, to choose your, your money. Yeah. Um, and I mentioned the word accessibility, and but the other part of it, this as well, it's, it's really, it just comes back to that transparency. So that's, you know, when, uh, if you chose to say, oh, we, we, you might have some discretionary um, income, spare money, that you'd want to um, put in, then, well, it's... Uh, it's what Bernadette was saying before, is that how do you know? You know when I, Bernadette made the mention about, oh, how do I know this, uh, this garment that I'm buying? You know, the consumer, you, we need to help the consumer. Yeah. We need to help the user do this. Uh, so organisations like Mindful Money, as an example, are really great with that. And this is, comes back down to that transparency, right? We yeah. start with the principle of transparency and then we robustly do, we work on the how. How are we going about doing this? You, Mindful money, painstakingly go through all the KiwiSaver funds to actually, so you can go there and you say, oh, ah, oh, I'm, I don't, uh, oh, I'm not really into, uh, you know, weapons and tobacco and whatever it is that you're not. Child labour. Child labour, you know, yeah. slavery, and it's, it's a, it's a thing. It's a bad thing. So, but that doesn't, we can't do that without the that tools, the transparency yeah, there. Yeah. Um, so, so, so the point is, I. Rounding all this is saying, well, it's 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 really good to have all these things, all this growth. But then we then have to look about where this growth is all heading. I think that's the where I would probably connect the the overall in terms of where the investment is going versus the world that I'm probably more familiar with in terms of the impact space. Yeah. Okay. 
Mm. I'm just conscious of you, your time, both of you. So let's wrap it up with a juicy question about oh. what, what ex, what's exciting you in terms of the horizon line. This honey horizon in the next, let's say, six months, which closes out the end of the year. So we're coming up to nearly six months in now. So mm. what's kind of 2022, when you finish it up and you look back and go, we succeeded, whatever that means. What does that mean for you? What is exciting you? In any in anything? It could be anything. Your badminton backstroke. Oh, okay. I'm going to eat some chocolate. Okay. I feel that's important. Okay. And by ahead. that time, this chocolate... Okay. Oh gosh! Well, hopefully, uh, we would have been successful in our capital raise. So, mm. uh, hopefully, I'm pretty, I'm pretty encouraged by it. And, and when we've socialised our pitch deck so far, there's lots and lots of interest. So, um, I would like to see that um, within six months um, have a successful out- outcome from that. Mm. But. Um, other things like spending more time with my family, who um, I've missed terribly over over mm. COVID, mm. and just those reconnections again. The other thing is that over COVID, like I'm, I'm a woman and in mid fifties, and I thought I had um, learnt a fair amount, but I found over COVID there were so many lessons, and I feel like I'm on this new um, personal growth space. Okay. That I, it was unexpected to me, but it, when you are locked down, it forces you to actually look at yourself. Yeah, and um, and to me, that was inspiring. You know, like the the opportunity to learn more, the opportunity to do things differently, the opportunity the opportunity to redesign my life. That's what I'm excited about. I love that. Yeah. Okay. A lot of boxes to tick then. Come, I'll give you a shout in December. I'm going, hey, do you remember? I'm like that. How about you, Tan? You've had some chocolate? I've had, had some, some chocolate. Time. I've had my inspiration, I think. Yeah. Uh, it always comes back to me. I haven't really talked about it at all today, but as much special time with yeah. my uh, kids uh, yeah. and partner as possible. Um, without that, it's just um, uh, other things become a lot harder. Um, mm. So special time for... Um, for me in particular, with, uh, with my kids, it's one-on-one time with them. One-on-one time yeah. with them. And it's us co-creating that time together. Moment, probably more led by them, actually. <laughs> what do you agree? What creates, what are you enjoying right now? Yeah. Daddy's going to do that with you. So that's from a, a, a TAN point of view. Um, so if we um, zoom out a little bit more and... Uh, if, trying to discover and find more usefully, more impact-led mm. organisations out there. Um, that's a huge part of it. Um, they're out there. We would like to find them and um, help and coach and, um, and learn together. Uh, and the other part of it is that if we can talk to uh, more uh, decision-makers and organisations that are looking to move, start their journey or... Mm. Um, Continue their journey in terms of impact investing. Um, we, that's that's the other part of it as well. So um, yeah, just keep finding these, keep finding and keep connecting and work on those little micro um, parts that actually accumulate to a big difference. Yeah. All mm. that is. Yeah.
And for yeah. you? Yes, indeed. You don't get away. Oh, Agreed. Say, Thank you for coming. No, no. <laughs> Keep rolling. A bit like you, a bit of a personal learning in the last couple of years. A bit like you also, family overseas. We'll be going to see them for the first time in three years for me. So that will be a big win. Uh, just traveling again. Although I am anxious about it. I never used to get anxious about traveling since mm. COVID. Brings up a lot of different questions. So there's that. And then um, I'd like to collaborate more. I'm bored of being a solopreneur. And I want to play with others. I think I play well with others. And I like others. Otherwise, I wouldn't do this. Yeah. So I don't think I want a proper grown-up job. But I wouldn't mind like a juicy problem or a, a project, you know, to get into that as a DK-sized hole waiting to be filled. Yeah. And I go, oh, yeah, that's a, a very peculiar set of skills. That sounded like Taken, didn't it? I have a peculiar set of skills. I will hunt you down. That's a film. <laughs> with, yeah, the line. But anyway, yeah, I'd like to collaborate more, whatever that means. It might be to pay the rent or it might be just a personal, cool, creative project. So there. Mm. I think I'll be happy by the end of the year if that manifests, all that. I think that's a zeitgeist because we can't um, solve these problems individually. And yeah, individual companies can't solve it. Mm. Solve it. Uh, now is the time for collaboration. Yeah. yeah, I agree. I agree. Let's play nice with others. Yeah. Well, Absolutely. thank you, both of you, for your time, your energy, your stories, your enthusiasm or just for saying yes to this weird and wonderful thing. You it's a better life with yes. It's yeah. a better life with yes. <laughs> oh, what a brilliant way. That was Creative Welly, episode 34. Thank you for your attention and your time. Big shout out to John O'Tucker again from Empire Films, who produces the beautiful and unique video version of this podcast. You're listening to the audio version, obviously, but check us out at creativewelly.com and you get to see it as well. You can also subscribe and contact us and let us know how well we're doing via there. Also, big shout out as well, or big thank you to David from Flashdog Studio for hosting us. My name's DK, the founder and creative producer for Creative Wally. Really appreciate, again, your time and attention. We do hope you're keeping well wherever you are and having some courageous conversations with bold humans.